Today we are proud to introduce to you the Queen Bee of Coffee, empowering women farmers across East Africa and the founder of Amate Coffee. Amani Terhaskafmario. Thank you for um, taking the time out of your busy schedule. We appreciate it. Thank you. Um, so, firstly, tell us a bit about yourself. Um, so, I'm Amani uh, Terhask Fumarim. So, uh, Amani is my Arabic name. Terhask is obviously my Eritrean, Tigrinya name. Um, I came here in 97 with my family, um, as many Eritreans do, uh, for a better life. Uh, and since then, I'm one of five children. Um, I studied here. I did my primary school, secondary school, um, my A-levels, my undergrad law, I'm kind of telling everyone my CV, but pretty much my studies here. And I work in banking, so I've worked in banking for the last nine years. And about three years ago, I founded the company that you've mentioned earlier, uh, Amate Coffee, that we could talk about uh, a bit more later. How did it come about? How was Amate Coffee birthed? So, um, nine years in banking, and I think it's at time, uh, sometimes in your career you think what is my purpose um, what do I want to do and so three years ago um, I had that feeling I think most people go through that and it was a matter of just figuring out who I was and what I wanted to do so you know I think it's very important to look at where we come from um, and also see how can we support those for me specifically women because I grew up with a, with a single mother incredible Eritrean woman and my grandmother Amata, which is the reason why I've named the company Amata. So these incredibly powerful, strong, resilient Eritrean women that I was raised with, um, uh, and you know, coffee is part of our culture, right? So we we have coffee every day, bun, bun na, but bun, um, and we usually have it up to three times a day, right? So when we have a guest um, that would come, we would actually the first thing we would do for them is coffee. So it's kind of part of our DNA, if you like and coffee was founded in Ethiopia. Um, so uh, it was just a matter of how do we, you know, first of all, looking at the market and thinking, what can I bring here? You know, the market is, you know, it's like, it, there's, there's just too many coffee companies, exactly. And the competition is is very strong, as you said. Um, and so it's like, what, what can I bring to the table? And for me, it was very much about looking at the market, marketing, um, uh, and, and I realized that we have all this amazing quality of products and coffee but we didn't get the marketing bit um kind of it wasn't competitive if you like so what we do is we'll give the raw materials to western companies and then we're not the margin is just too low we're not really make so for example a cup of coffee two pounds fifty the grower would only take one p of that you pay more for the milk versus the actual coffee beans Exactly. So I thought, you know, what the value add was, what can I do? What, what, what can I, what impact can I create? Right. So after doing the research, I realized that actually there is a gap. Yes, there's so many coffee companies, but none of them are actually run by, by an East African person, a person where the coffee comes from. Right. So having done research for about a year and a bit, um, when I say research, talking about like business plan, we could talk about that later, but like, you know, kind of like, ripping things apart, starting again, why would you buy coffee from our company? And I realized that actually 90% of the work on the ground is done by females, um, but these women don't actually see any return uh, on the hard work that they, they put. So I thought, 
okay, I come from all these, you know, from the strong Eritrean women that I mentioned to you, I'm inspired by, inspired by them, what can I do? So let's focus on the gender parity, the women, um, and bring out the marketing, focus on that, um, and basically deliver this delicious coffee at market rate, and that's what we've done. So our coffees range from 16 pounds for the um, Queen of Sheba all the way to 21 pounds for the 90 plus. And that just shows the quality of coffee Beautiful. that comes from where right. we come from. So I guess while we're talking about that, you can explain the direct trade as, as that is. So how does that differ to fair trade? Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So the different direct trade is pretty much what it says on the tin and that we're going directly to these female farmers to get the coffee from them. Um, what that means is we get to decide what fair is, if you like. Um, so we work with local partners. Um, we, uh, so just, just to kind of give you an idea, sometimes uh, these big companies, if, they, if the crop is not as good as it's expected, they won't buy the coffee. So imagine a farmer that's working for a year and when harvest comes, the coffee is not graded because coffee is quite similar to wine. It's graded like from zero to 100. So anything 80 plus is meant to be good. Our coffees are all 87 plus to like 90 plus, which is the one that I mentioned earlier. Um, and uh, these women or the farmers would lose out if the coffee is not graded to what the buyer wants them to do. But we feel that if we work directly with these um, farmers, we can actually have an input in the outcome. So that's that's the kind of uh, I guess value add of direct trade versus um, fair trade is pretty much a stamp there's a criteria so it's fair trade because of this 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 and usually to get the coffee for it to be stamped fair trade there's just so much administrative process and it costs a lot of money so not every farmer can make the applications and go through this and pay etc to get that stamp so we feel it's more value add and impactful to do a direct trade I want to know more about how you select the, the beans and the whole process of that um, mm -hmm. and, and also if you can explain cupping as well. So yeah, sure. Mention, like <laughs> wine, sure. So, yeah. I'm now thinking I should have got my uh, experts here <laughs> talk, to talk about the process. Sure, um, yeah. But essentially, so uh, the coffee is, is very interesting actually and I've learned a huge deal in this process of setting up a matter. Um, essentially, we have experts if you like these are like experts who have masters and degrees to be able to identify which beans is um is good enough or exactly high quality so to give you an example in ethiopia we work with our partners addis exporters which is the oldest um uh, company in, in ethiopia and 70 years plus one of the world's known kind of um, coffee companies so on a daily basis they have about 100 farmers coming in with small coffees for them to to sample so Addis exporters there's about 30 of them in the Addis office would go through all of these coffees they would roast them they would grind them and then they would cup them to see what grade they'll be and then that's how it's selected so the cupping is pretty much you roast the coffee you grind it you'll put it on these cups and usually it's four cups you can do it in threes but four cups of the same coffee uh, different coffees and then essentially what you're doing is you taste the coffee you spit it but because of the experience that you have you can taste the acidity and um, the sweetness etc the four different categories um, but you then would grade them and that's how at the end and you have several people doing that and then you aggregate the numbers and you decide which coffee what does it taste like because 
it's very interesting. You can have coffee that tastes like caramel to like cherries um, and a number of like, yeah, even like coffee that tastes like grapes and stuff like this. So it's, it's yeah, that, that's basically the process. Fantastic. And in regards to your brands, so you have the full range, um, I guess there's, there's some that are going to be stronger or um, some are going to be more floral, sweeter, etc. Yeah. So, do you want to explain? Um, so we launched in February last year. We've launched with five different um, types of coffees, the Connoisseurs Blend, um, Pros Blend, um, Queen of Petiti, Queen Sheba and the 90 Plus. So it's coffees um, from across Africa, six uh, different countries in Africa. And we chose these coffees out of 100 coffees, basically, by our experts, um, because they are uh, above 80, 87 in terms of coffee cupping. It wasn't an easy process you get into the stage now and the branding everything looks beautiful um as a as a woman what challenges did you face coming into the business and mm -hmm. being an entrepreneur so i think you know i think first of all taking a step back as eritreans in london it's not really easy for us right i don't know how you know i think when i speak to my eritrean friends to get into a place where we're able to launch a business it does take a bit of kind of like I guess a lot of research and I feel like we it's, it's just not easy before even I think about being a female I'm thinking about us as Eritreans and and I don't I don't think it's easy because I feel like it's the knowledge right so I feel like in businesses you see some communities doing much better and that's because a lot of sharing of knowledge there is this is why I love what um, Eritrean society is trying to do so like kind of bring all this knowledge in one place where you know if you want to know how to set up something or you need to reach out to someone you're creating this community and you know it's, it's incredible so um i do feel that being a woman is not easy in terms of when you're trying to raise capital i think that's where um i think you know from from experience and speaking to a number of entrepreneurs female entrepreneurs who have done incredibly well selling like all the different kind of um kind of like Selfridges and Harrods and all these places, it took a long, a lot of time to get there. And especially when you're an ethnic minority, if you like. So I feel like, okay, you know, Eritreans, there's not many of us trying to do this, one. Then you're a female and then you're a black woman. <laughs> so I'm just going to be real about it. So, um, but it is what it is. I think resilience um, and... So explain... Yeah how why, why it was difficult for you as a woman obviously you mentioned obviously there's the other yeah. factors as well but to get funding so how what kind of challenges did you face why was it different for you as opposed to maybe to a man yeah no it's i, I think you know majority of investors are men so naturally they tend to just go you know kind of favor men if you like just it's just easy to have those kind of conversations or i don't know i i that's just basically, unfortunately, that's how it is. Um, I think also, you know, there are a number of female founders now who are seeing that gap and trying to do something about it. They are setting up like VC funds that focus on women. So it, it is changing slightly, but, um, the, you know, the difficulties are there and it's, it's something that is on, on top of the agenda for other women who've kind of done well and are doing well to be able to actually bring more females into, yeah, into kind of doing their own thing and supporting them financially. Yeah, so do you 
believe enough is being done to address inequality m women face in today's society. Um, obviously, you have things like International Women's Day. Um, yeah. You know, I think it's interesting. It's an interesting question. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, it depends. So for example, I, I'm still in the banking industry. Um, I have been for the last year, nine years. So within the banking sector, you have people putting quotas, for example. By this, you know, 2030, we're going to have 30% of women on the board. Um, so you do have initiatives like that. Um, it's, I don't know, it's difficult for me to address this question because I, you know, when I see myself, I'm seeing myself as Amani Tahas, an Eritrean woman that grew up in North West, North, I would say North Wheezy. Yes. <laughs> yep, Harlesden <laughs> and Wembley Park, but that's where I grew up. Um, so, you know, you have a number of challenges. So you spoke about your mother and your grandmother earlier, and obviously the brand is named after your grandmother. Mm -hmm. um, they clearly serve as inspiration and have been your backbone and maybe the person you are now. Um, can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, um, I, I, you know, women are amazing, right? Look how many roles we have to juggle. Like, so, you know, women are incredible. Um, you know, there's an, like, I don't know how even some women that I know do it from running from the office to raising a family, to being a wife, to running a company, et cetera, et cetera. So I have so much respect for women who are doing all of that particularly, I think, women from the part of the role that we come from, and specifically our focus on Eritrean women, are incredible, right? I mean, if you look at history with the war, what they had to do to support our independence, it's incredible. And then having to immigrate to people, you know, to places like, like Sudan, like Saudi, and all of these places where we had to leave our country and our pride to start from nothing, to raise children whilst, you know, the, uh, the husbands, we're trying to get independence. And some of our sisters and aunts, you know, they've also <laughs> gone to get the independence. But the ones who are there, they're trying to make ends meet. So I, you know, when I think about Eritrean women, I think, wow, how did you do it? You know, and it's the same thing with my grandmother and my mom. Um, you know, my grandmother was the, uh, you know, person at home, kind of, there's five of us. You know, my father passed away when I was four. And again, because of, he was in the war, etc. But my grandmother would run the household and my mother would be hustling, running coffee shops, trying to um, open an Airbnb, doing all of this in Sudan. Why? So that we can actually have a better life and we go to school. And, you know, like this is this is the thing I feel like, again, I'm like, wow. <laughs> so having seen what they've had to do to bring us here and then again, coming and starting from scratch again in a, in a country where you don't speak the language. You don't understand the culture, you know? I remember like when we came here, I would, at the age of nine, I would open the letters trying to, in my broken English, I didn't even know the alphabets. <laughs> and I think a lot of Eritrean people can relate to this, right? Where we have to interpret with our broken English, we don't even know anything, to our parents what the letter said, you know? <laughs> and it's like, and they just, <laughs> like, it's, it's, I don't know how they did it, but, um, but the reason, the reason I'm bringing all of this is because I'm thinking, if our parents, our mothers, our grandmothers have done all of this for us, and I have the opportunity for education, why wouldn't I ensure that I'm getting you know, t as far as I can get? So for me, I actually think this is the easiest. When you put it into that context, I feel like I'm in a safe country. 
um, because of what my family had to go through to bring us here, so not ever forget that, um, why wouldn't I deliver? And um, so I, I'm inspired by them all the time. So actually my benchmark isn't people in politics or banking. My benchmark is my grandmother and my mother and my aunts and these strong Eritrean women out there. I think so. the, the main, main thing that was I would add to that is the sacrifices that they went through. And, exactly. Um, tell me, I guess, more bringing it back to you, your specific sacrifices that you've had to, that you made to reach the stage that you are now. Um, so I would say, just, you know, I, I look when you start off in this country, it's not easy. Why isn't it easy? Because again, you're not. You don't have the uncle, aunt or brothers who've gone to that university um, and they are in this job and they tell you this is how it's done, right? Which a, lo a lot of other communities have that. But how easy is it to find a doctor or a lawyer in our community that you can just go to and say, uncle, auntie, can you tell me how to get there? Or can you help me with my CV, etc.? I wouldn't say it's a sacrifice. I would say it's been, yeah, I wouldn't really say, again, it's my benchmark is where our family have come from. Right. And again, let's not forget, we come from a very rich culture. Right. But instability. That's where that's why we had to go to a different country. We would have never needed to go to a different country if we had. If there was no war, essentially. Right. So that is why we were displaced from where we are, etc. But in terms of sacrifices, I wouldn't really I don't think I've made any sacrifices. What I've done is just put hard work together with the people that you know inspire me and basically try to do my best. So. Yeah. I guess it feels in, insignific insignificant in comparison to what our parents kind of sacrificed to get us here. Yeah, well, absolutely. So. And I just, I mean, what can I say? Sacrifice, we didn't go out raving all the time. I think you touched on a very good point. Obviously, for us, we put, especially again, to bring it back to inequality of women and with the whole movements going around the world that seem to be prevalent and it's in our faces. Um, I think you touched about uh, you touched on it earlier as well. The inequality of women is not the same worldwide. It, it differs across regions and race, mm -hmm. and obviously cultural backgrounds. Do you feel the kind of one one stop shop movement, if that's even the right way to perceive it, is fair to all women around the world? Um, I think. Look, I think there's different you know, obviously different treatment in terms of um, how women are treated in different countries. Um, religion has a big role to play in that. Um, cultural societies, etc. expectation, you know, the role of a woman versus a man, etc. You know, um, it is different, I think. I mean, I don't know what to say. It's like, yeah. Um, like, I, I just want to say, like, you and uh, Amate Brand, you, you embody the spirit of, like, International Women's Day um, every day, 24-7, mm -hmm. all year round. In regards to that, you got the Amate Foundation, um, which is inspirational in itself as well. Um, can you explain to us how that works? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, International Women's Day, we should be celebrating women every day, right? But we have this one day that we can dedicate to thanking our mothers, sisters, aunts, all the women in our lives that have inspired us. So very much looking forward to the celebrations in the next few weeks on that. Um, the foundation was set up just to ensure that um, we're also giving back, right? It's so important to be able to inspire other people, but especially if you're going to work with 
locals or countries um, of where you're bringing the products from there. So for us, in our case, it's coffee. Uh, it's very important that we also look at the community that we're working with and thinking about how can we, you know, what can we do to help, right? Um, so we take 5% of the cells that we have um, and we feed it back into this um, foundation. Uh, which kind of feeds back to schools, whether it's buying simple things like computers or um, supporting orphanages. So for me, um, I'm very deep, like deep, deeply passionate. One cause that I truly care about is children. And so for me, if you ask me to donate somewhere, it's two things that I would donate to children um, and the mentally ill. And there's a reason for that, because I feel you don't choose who you're born into, right? So um, some of these kids, beautiful children, unfortunately, their mothers, for whatever reason, they could not support them. So they are left in outside of churches, etc., and they become orphans. So I feel like I have a duty to ensure these kids, some, you know, that we can do something to help. So we try to use the funds, and I personally deeply care about this. So I actually, um, you know, I work with them separately before even Amata. But it's just about trying to make positive change. And tell us about the two specific foundations that you have, just in name. So um, we do support um, an orphanage. Um, through the foundations, we support um, causes like you know, supporting children in orphanages. And two of the orphanages that we're currently supporting is uh, Kirana Mahrad um, and uh, Samaritan Sisters. For every little little girl um, or even little boy as well listen in there um, listen out there what would your advice be to Amani or a seven-year-old Amani who wants to create her business um, I would say build your foundation in terms of school is important <laughs> so I'm gonna be that um, I guess yeah that, uh, another Eritrean person Mom. telling you school's important Mom and dad, yeah. exactly um, so education is important what education does it gives you the foundation to build credibility so if you're going and asking someone for capital for the business when they know that you have a foundation you can trust you know they, they feel they can trust you with their capital right um, I would say that time is precious so do not mess with time money goes it can come back time goes it doesn't come back um, so just you know just be resilient um, there's more of us now Eritreans um, as you know again I go back to what Eritrean society is doing in bringing this knowledge together in one place we need to do more of this um, and I love what you guys are doing but I think just really focusing on school briefly explain the, the pathways to creating a business yeah absolutely um, so I think I think you know the first first of all there's so much content out there there's no excuse to say I don't know how to create a business plan, right? Or I don't know how to network, or I don't know how to build my confidence, how do I speak on the stage, etc., etc. Everything is online. Um, I would say just think about the concept. What are you trying to create? You know, just think about it. Think, of, put yourself in a position where if you were going to go and you know go to one of these stores, why would you pick that item, right? Why would I buy? Why would somebody buy my brand, for example? What is so different about it in terms of the way it looks, the pricing, quality? Um, is it impactful? Is it, you know, like just really criticize, not criticize, but just look, look at yourself and think, um, 
why would somebody buy that from me? Why am I different? What's my story? Um, and just kind of put in that, sometimes we have it in our minds, but actually putting it down on paper is where the business plan comes. Who are your competitors? And it's a very competitive market, as you know. So yeah, it's just about kicking off with the business plan and then that will kind of lead you as to what factors do you need to take into consideration, be it marketing, competitors, capital, forecast, three to five years, how much do you expect to make? Um, what are your costs going to be? Are you going to register the company at company's house? Um, is it going to be a partnership? Is someone else going to come in place? You know, all of these admin, but very, very important things. Do you recommend any, any websites or any sources of information to get, to get started? Um, the Prince Trust has loads of content, um, from writing a business plan um, to writing to putting together, together, together <laughs> putting together your projections to how to create an investor deck. So investor deck is basically where you're trying to get capital. And when I go to you as an investor, I would say, hey, look at my business, it's so great. Um, this is what we're trying to do. And in five years, we think we can make this amount. So to do that, I need this amount. Um, so there's a lot of content there, but there's so much. I mean, all you need to do is just Google entrepreneurship and then business plan like there's so much content out there um, but I would say networking is probably the most important thing networking and you can do that through going through LinkedIn looking at other companies reaching out to people right people want to help I think nobody wants to see other people failing um, we all have egos so everyone wants to share information and yeah Exactly. And, and it's like they also know what it took to get there and all the struggles and, you know, nobody, you know, a lot of people do say that actually I am here because somebody helped me and they want to be able to pay that back as well. So. Tell us about your most proudest achievement to date. Um, I would say to have finished my education. <laughs> and that's because, um, as I said, like I'm, I'm one of five children. I'm the first one to go to university. Um, and my mother was very eager to like, uh, you're the last one. <laughs> you need to make sure that you graduate. So um, I think I've made my mother proud having gone to do law, undergrad and then postgrad. So I'm, I'm happy that she's happy about that. So I think um, when I remember uh, when I was at school, I was basically told by the career advisor, don't bother doing law, go and do nursing. And at that time, when you're young and you just, you know, as, a, as I said earlier, in terms of there's not many of us in the corporate world. So when I was to go home, nobody was really talking about Sarah, <laughs> like, you know, it was just, or university and stuff like that. So um, when you're hearing your career advisor telling you to go and do nursing, you think, okay, maybe that's the way I should be doing that, you know? Um, and it's interesting because I initially signed up to do um, health and social care and stuff like this because I went with that direction. I'm like, this woman's much older than me then she must be right. <laughs> so, and then I don't know what happened. I just got up one day and I was like, no. So I actually registered to do a law degree. And um, I think it goes to discipline. I was doing several jobs. I was meant to do the degree in four years. I did it in three years because I was doing like work experience, citizen's advice bureau at that time, knocking on doors to get, trying to get work experience, um, working in a jeans shop <laughs> to make extra cash. So like multitasking, but still focus on the price, if you like, to ensure that I got a minimum of a 2-1. So I would say discipline. Obviously, you fail when you're trying to do these things. You fail, but I think the key there is not to stay 
there for too long, got to bounce back because time is going and I, you know, it's the journey, right? No one's going to stop waiting for you to, to get up. So um, it hasn't, to be honest, it hasn't been easy and it hasn't been easy. It's not because it's a difficult subject. Anyone can do law, like all it takes is discipline, right? But it's just navigating the system. That's what I found difficult. If you haven't done it before, it's, it's quite difficult. What does it take to go into a city law firm? For example, I went to one of the top city law firms. Simple things like being able to knock on a partner's door to say, hey, do you want me to um, help you? I've just finished what you've given me. Is there anything else that I can do? That on its own was so difficult. And that's because I think in our culture, as somebody who's young, you're not meant to speak. Exactly, it's, right? So I think also like Asians go through this and we talk about it because I run the um, BAME network at, at the bank that I work for, um, which is BAME, uh, Black, Asian, multi-ethnic. And this focuses on, on ethnicity and bringing people that look like us into the, um, into the investment banking world. Um, so, you know, it's, it's interesting, I think. Um, but this is why, again, I go back to your trend society of what you guys are trying to do because I never had this growing up. You know, I never had where we have Eritrean people coming and talking about, hey, I'm here, you know, it's possible. <laughs> so, um, I don't know if that addresses your question. Touching on what we were discussing earlier off camera um, about the corporate environment and the glass ceiling that um, black, um, Asians, multi-ethnic. Um, sure. So I do think there's a glass ceiling. I think, you know, I think there's a lot of um, ethnic minorities that come into the industry, whether it's banking or, or, or legal in the law industry. Um, I think that unfortunately you don't see many rising to the top. So I'm talking about, for example, in the banking industry, like directors, managing directors, etc. That That is always quite difficult. And in the, the bank that I work for, I, um, uh, chair one of the networks because these banks have employee networks. Um, I chair the BAME, as you said, back Asian multi-ethnic and it focuses on ethnic diversity. And so our job is to really challenge the status quo. First of all, from, you know, if you're getting grads or interns, it's about challenging if there's not people, you know, if there aren't people that look like me, I'm asking why is that? Well, you know, from a gender and also on ethnic diversity, ethnicity. Um, and then it's looking at the gap, like why are these, you know, why, why, why are we not seeing more ethnic, um, uh, people from an ethnic diversity being promoted? Why is that? You know, is it because we don't really know how to navigate the process internally? We don't know what it, you know, how do you get promoted? People, a lot of people don't know the process, you know, like, do you need a sponsor? Obviously it's about performance. So I should emphasize that meritocracy is key. You have to be good at what you do. But then you could be so good at what you do, if no one is recognizing that, you know, what happens? So it's all, you know, and, and there's been a number of research that says um, diversity uh, generates revenue. You know, firms are diverse, are profitable. So it's using data like that. And if you see our clients are becoming more diverse, our clients, you know, we've seen female, senior, um, senior women in, in senior positions. We're seeing more ethnic, uh, people in senior decision and they looking at us and thinking why isn't there someone that looks like me advising me what's going on so we're getting this challenge externally as well so these firms now have to actually address address the gap but in terms of you know I see career and again I have a long way to go to, to be where I want to be I'm, I'm you know quite driven 
like most of us are in this room. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really a project management. What do I want out of this? Um, and how long is it going to take me? What do I need to do? Etc. Etc. And also, I think, don't be shy to ask for help. Right? We're so taught in our culture as Eritreans, we're so proud. <laughs> we're so proud. We don't ask because I should always do it on my own. But, you know, we need, to, we need to help each other. We need to be able to share knowledge with each other, business knowledge, education, all of this stuff. Um, to be able to actually uplift the community, specifically in London, that's where we live, right? That's where we, where kind of we grow up. Um, yeah, so don't be shy to ask for help. So I think, I think it's important to emphasize this. The first time I got my break, I think I sent like 200 applications, no exaggeration. I was getting no's everywhere. I called an agent, the agent was saying, um, this is after law school, by the way, the agent was saying, well, you don't have any experience. You have to have a minimum of six month experience to get into the corporate world. And I'm like, well, if I don't have it, <laughs> how am I going to get it if you don't give me the chance? And so for six months, I was calling every other day. This agency had enough of me. After six months, they were like, OK, do you know, what? we'll just put you in front of this client. And that client happened to be a, one of the big American banks. And I remember I went and I was so excited. Actually, I was having coffee with my mother when the call came. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. So went to the interview and it's interesting. So they, they've been interviewing for a few weeks, right? And, and when I came, I had one interview. I went home and I was having born with my mom. On the same day, the agent calls me and says, we just want to let you know, like this client who's been looking for weeks, they want to offer you the position. So the reason I'm sharing this story is because, as I say, six months calling, they wouldn't even give me a chance to be put forward to a client. But I never gave up. I was con constantly calling. The day came, the client met me, the client that was for weeks trying to find somebody. And, you know, I have to say this because I think resilience has a big uh, role to play here because we're often told you can't do it or no. No, like how many times do we hear no? We're here now all the time, and all you need is that one break. And what's interesting, that agency, now they call me all the time trying to get people, basically for me to hire people. <laughs> so it's quite interesting. Um, but I, you know, resilience is so important. And it, again, I said earlier, it's okay to fail, but just don't settle because someone's told you no. Think about what you want, and there is a way to get there. So uh, that, that's so important, especially in today's society, um, especially with kind of Instagram. Uh, you see you see the end product you see the success but you don't see the the hard work and all the failures beforehand yeah exactly and um and, and there's an old saying as well in regards to finding a job searching for a job and finding a job is a full-time job in itself as for well. sure so, exactly exactly um, yeah. and and the other thing is to all the um young eritrean people watching you know all these young very smart young people if you have a suggestion of what we can do as a community you have a bit of time, you need speakers to come, you know, reach out to Eritrean Society. Um, you know, they can actually give you some advice. I'm sure the team will be happy to spend like a few minutes on that. Um, but it's important that we have the young people coming out of all these great ideas. How do we create a safe place for us to be able to exchange ideas to support, you know, organizations like, like PEP? Um, so if there is anyone, comment Eritrean Society, leave a comment on the bottom about how we can, um, yeah, we can do this. And I'm finding out, finding that out 
research in Fairtrain Society and that's how we found you and there's many, many others. Um, I think it's very important now we, we have a single point of access. We want Eritrean Society to be exactly that, where the Eritrean community can come and find and network as well. So yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think it's a movement, right? It's a movement. Everyone needs to be able to, to speak up and to support Eritrean society because if we're not sharing that this platform exists, how are we going to be able to... to yeah, exactly. So. Do you have any solutions to how we can connect better? Um, I mean, I think what PEP is doing is a great thing. I think PEP, uh, you know, they've come together. Uh, I think what the PEP team have done is great. And what they do is um, they bring a number of, uh, you know, Eritreans, professionals, and also, um, you know, younger people that want to actually go into these industries together. And they have talks and I've spoken at one of their events before. Um, I think this is a good start. I think we need to be able to support them. Um, I also think that, you know, uh, your initiative as the Eritrean Society, what you're trying to do is just so much easier to have access. Obviously, it'll be online. If somebody from Manchester could not make it to London to the PEP event, you've got this. All you need to do is just log into YouTube and actually just kind of put Eritrean Society and all of this content comes up. Um, I, th I do think we need to do more. Um, I personally need to do more. I think we can all do more. Um, I think it's important that first you create something. When you have something to give back, then you give back. And I think it's important because in our culture, we always want to give, right? Like we are, like even forget like corporate world. Generally, we're very generous people towards each other. You know, where things go wrong, we're together. We're, you know, if there's weddings, we're together. Um, but I think when it comes to the corporate world, just if you just, if you, if you focus first of all on your career, you do well by default that just you being there, when you do well and you're just there, that's a, you're, you've just created a role model for younger people to look up to and say, okay, you know, if Johannes can do it, if Ben can do it, if Noah can do it, if Fussum can do it, I can do it. Beautiful. Um, right, and uh, I guess any, any plugs? Tell us about where we can um, find you. Uh, so we've spoken about Amata. Um, www.amate.com um, we've our Instagram uh, we've got a website so obviously you can check us out if you have any feedback you see us being in certain places stores etc any feedback please do reach out to my team um, and I'm also on LinkedIn so I have a number of Eritrean young people now actually we're very lucky there's some really clever people at university doing their A-levels come in and saying hey you know, I'm Eritrean, do you mind spending some time with me? I'd like to ask you this. So we're getting a lot of that. And actually, I was speaking to one of them the other day. How do we, because for me, I don't mind mentoring. And I have like, I have so many mentees. But I, one thing I ask them to do is I mentor you if you mentor someone else. That's it. If you can mentor somebody else, I'll mentor you. <laughs> Obviously, I mentor other people that kind of, they don't need to mentor somebody else. But I think it's very important that we're, because that's the way I, I can't, you know, we can't just get to everybody. But if we can create that community, we can get exactly, we can get to everyone much easier, uh, much quickly as well. Um, so, yeah. Fantastic. Thank you again for your time. So Thank you so lot. much for having me. I'm so excited about what you guys are doing. Thank you. Finally, so if Freda Kahlo is about defying gender stereotypes and being fierce and fighting for women equality. Um, what is Amani about? Um, I, 
The way I define my life and my purpose is that I need to inspire others. I think it's very important. I'm quite, I would say I'm quite resilient. And if I put my mind to something, I will go for it. Even if I don't get it, at least I've gone for it. So I'm a big believer in go for it, try it. If you fail, so what? Don't tell people you can't, you know, don't, don't, don't let people tell you you can't do something because we hear that too often, that we can't do this. We hear like reasons to why we shouldn't do things. But how about if it was to happen and if it was to work? So I would say um, passion is to inspire others, to be able to leave the door open, right? It's very important that, you know, our nieces, nephews, children, like how it shouldn't be as difficult. What we're going, what we've gone through, it should not be like that. So inspiration, I don't know, resilience. So. Thank you, Amani, again for taking the time out. Again, please comment, like, subscribe, and give us your feedback so yeah, we can keep on doing more of this. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you.